Well, we are, we are rapidly approaching the finish line of, uh, uh, of our, our study through the book of Ephesians. I was kind of looking to see if there's Ephesians chapter 7 anywhere, uh, but there's not. And so uh, we won't create something that God didn't uh, put forth uh, for us. But I, I just, I pray that you're getting challenged in this and, and that uh, the Lord is just really helping us to discover just the richness of his word and, and, and our position in Christ and what Christ has done for us. Amen. So uh, we, we just completed last week the section on relationships, um, and we focused our time looking at uh, husbands and wives, um, at wives and husbands. Uh, we looked at the relationship between children and parents and parents to children. Uh, we looked at last week the relationship between employer and and employees, and we talked about how the, the health and the vitality of those relationships is greatly determined by, um, uh, by what we allow to influence us in those relationships, right? And, and so hey, if we come with a baggage of goods from our past that we're unwilling to leave at the cross, we're gonna vomit those up all over the relationships of our life. And it might, it might have just described some relationships um, for you this morning, but we are really wanting to ensure that we are being influenced and informed by God the Holy Spirit on the playing field of relationships in our life. And Paul's encouragement to us in Ephesians chapter five and verse 18 kind of sets the stage for the conversation where he admonishes us to, to not be drunk with wine, right? Don't be drunk or influenced by the vices of the world, but instead be filled with the Spirit. Be influenced by the Holy Spirit. And we talked about how the influence of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to be played out on this playing field of relationships. And we highlighted that the importance of, or, or the, in order to be filled with the Spirit, we need to kind of empty ourselves of ourselves, right? We need, we need, to, we need to die to ourselves. Um, we are not to be influenced by our pain, Right? We're not to be influenced by um, the, the fears of our lives or our, our past experiences. We're not to be influenced by our insecurities and, and worries from the past. And that's so much easier to preach than it is to live out. Right? That's so much easier to, to, to read than it is to, to put in motion in our lives. And that's why it's so important that, that we hold in proper tension that truth with what Paul said earlier on in chapter two, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, right? Paul says to the Philippian church that I am, I am convinced that he who began a good work in us, he will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ, right? And so we are to put in motion everything that God gives us the grace to accomplish, but sleep at night knowing that he who loves us most holds on to us and he will complete that which he's begun in our lives. We talked uh, much about that last week. And if you, have, if you weren't here for it, I encourage you to circle back and listen to it. But the reality is that, that every one of us is the product of what we allow to influence us. Right? Every one of us is the product of what we allow to influence us. 
And this new life in Christ that Paul is laying out before us and uh, lays out all throughout the book of Ephesians is, is a life that we are to be led and influenced by the Holy Spirit and not, as we saw last week, by our old ways of thinking, right? Not to be influenced by the, the vices of the world, right? Not be drunk with wine, but be influenced, be filled with the Spirit. Now this week, um, as we continue, we're gonna kind of springboard off of that. We looked at, obviously, there's, there's influence that the Holy Spirit um, makes in our lives, right? In our new life in Christ. And we also recognize that we bring some of our own stuff to this new life, these old ways that we've learned, right? These old uh, um, uh, modus operandi, if you will, the way in which we operate in our life. And we need to kind of let those go at the cross. Otherwise, our past will influence us. So we need to make sure that our own past doesn't influence us. And then this morning, as we kind of continue, we'll see another formidable and, and strategic force at work in our lives that seeks to influence us away from God's plan for our, our lives, away from God's purpose for our lives. This formidable um, influence in our life that wants, does not want you to walk in truth, that does not want you to see yourself as God sees you. This formidable um, foe that loves to remind you of what you want were, right? Wants you to live in your past and loves to hurl thoughts and lies and reminders of your past to try to distract you from what God says you are. And it's there that we're going to pick up this morning. Let's look together at Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, Paul says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now notice here, Notice how Paul will open up this section of scripture with the word finally. That's very important to highlight here because what Paul is saying here, by introducing this word finally, he is connecting what he has been saying and what we have been unpacking week after week to what he is just about to say in these following verses. So why, is that, why is that so important? Because we need to understand that the scripture is given to us in a context. Right, we need to understand that, that God did not, listen, the Bible is not a book of memes that we're just trying to kind of take what we like and apply it to our life. What we see is a flow of thought, a context in which it is presented and preserved for us, right? At Integrity Church, we, we're not, we don't look to preach um, uh, our message and then find Bible verses to support our message, that's not what we're looking to do. We're looking to see what the Bible says and let our messages flow out of that. Big difference between the two, right? We want to make sure that we are preaching the word of God in the context in which it's given and not just kind of picking out the pieces that sound really fun. So um, why, why do I bring that up here? Because when I look at this passage of scripture in particular, I, and I consider the, 
the theological acrobats that many have kind of employed to these passages uh, that kind of makes it look like, you know, there's a, there's a devil under every bush, right? And, and that, like, you know, kind of takes the responsibility off of us and saying, well, really, it's not my fault. The, the devil made me do it, right? And, and I think sometimes these passages, when taken out of context, can create an overinflated view of the spiritual realm in such a way that it, it takes responsibility away from us so, and, and to, to put uh, truth in motion. Now, there's a flip side to that imbalance that we need to be really careful that we don't become guilty of, right? We're not to be walking around thinking there's a devil under every bush. We also need to recognize that the devil's alive and active in the world today. Right? We don't want to be naive to the fact that there is a very strategic um, uh, spirit realm that hates you, that hates God, that looks to set you up, tear you down, to, to discourage you, divide you, confuse you, and keep you from walking in everything God wants you to walk in. And so what we need to recognize is we are not to walk in fear of that reality, but we are to walk aware of that reality. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, but I need to recognize he is in the world and he is always looking to see how he can, how he can trip me up. Peter says it this way. He says, be sober. Kind of like, that's kind of like, you know, not being drunk with wine, right? He says, be sober, be mindful, be watchful, because your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Peter, like Paul, is raising our awareness and saying, listen, don't be naive to the fact that the enemy is prowling about, prowling about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But here's, the, here's how you don't become devoured. Here's how you don't become prey to him. You resist him firm in your faith. You're not going to go after him in your own strength. You resist him firm in your own faith. What James says later on in his epistle, he'll say, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So we need to be careful that we don't give the, the devil any more power or influence that he, that, 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 that he wants us to think he has. We also want to hold in proper tension the very real awareness that he is looking to see how he can trip us up. Paul will say this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Listen, you and I are not more powerful from the devil than the devil, but he that is within us, right? He that owns us, he that keeps us, he that loves us is greater than anything that the devil could launch against us. And so our strength, our might comes in who we are and who we've held on to. Be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. In other words, your ability to stand against the schemes of the devil has everything to do with your pursuit of being strong in the Lord. 
being strong in the Lord. Not just in your disciplines, not just in what you know, but being strong in the Lord. What does that mean, to be strong in the Lord? It means to ensure that your relationship with God is grounded in truth. That your relationship with God is not grounded in emotion, but is grounded in truth in such a way that I know in whom I have believed, as Paul says. And that awareness, that truth that goes deep in my, it will, it will manifest itself in emotion, right? I'm passionate about God. I'm loving God. I'm, I, 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 I'm in love with God, right? I mean, he is the greatest influence in my life. But my feelings towards God are grounded in truth. Being strong in the truth of the Lord as revealed in his word. God has chosen to manifest himself to us and reveal to himself to us in his word. Notice what Paul says here. He says, look, he says, put on the whole armor of God. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Notice this is something that Paul tells you to do. He says, you put on the whole armor of God. In other words, this doesn't happen automatically. Putting on the whole armor of God doesn't happen when you become a believer. Instead, he says, this is something you need to do. It's something that you need to work at. It's something that you need to make an effort towards. It's something that you need to put in motion, this action of putting on the armor of God. You've heard me say many times, this, this, this journey that we're on, it is both inspiration and perspiration, right? It is the Holy Spirit who is leading us and guiding us, but we also recognize that we are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, right? We are to put on the armor of God, right? In fact, this is not the first time that Paul will use language like this where he calls us to put on things. Colossians chapter three and verse 12, Paul will say this, put on then as, as God's chosen ones, you who are holy and beloved, he says this, put on compassionate hearts. That might not come as a default setting for you. You need to put it on. Put on kindness. He says, put on humility. Put on meekness and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Even as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And then Paul will say, and above all these things that you're to put on, put on this, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Put it on. It speaks of action. It speaks of intention. It speaks of, 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 of prioritization. Put on the whole armor of God. In other words, put it on in such a way that it becomes one with you. It becomes part of who you are. You don't put it on to take it off again. You don't put, I'm going to put on some compassion. Oh, in this situation, I'm taking that off. I'm going to blow this brother out the water, right? 
No, we don't put it on to take it off. This idea of putting it on is this idea in the same way earlier on in Colossians where he talks about putting off the old man, right? It's, 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 it's the idea of getting rid of it permanently. And likewise, this man, put these things on. Let them become your identity. Be a person of compassion. Be a person of kindness. Be a person of humility. Be a person of love. Let it become one with you and who you are. And likewise, Paul will say here, put on the the armor of God in our text. Put on the armor. So what's the armor anyway? Well, at the time of of this writing, like many of Paul's epistles, Paul is writing this um, from a prison cell. Imprisoned for preaching the gospel and God wanting to, Paul to have an opportunity and time to himself and to write these epistles that we enjoy today. God has them locked up. And, and Paul, so Paul's in a prison cell. And likely, then what, they, what they did in those days is the prisoner would be likely a chain, would be chained to a soldier so that they couldn't escape. And so here's Paul, he's in a prison cell. Likely he's chained to a soldier and he's checking out the attire of the, of, the, of the soldier, what the soldier is wearing. And he'll begin to describe what the soldier is wearing and he will liken that to a description of the kind of armor that the soldier of Christ is to put on. He says, put on the armor of God. Each item on this list that we'll be taking a look at, it parallels a behavior and an unleashing of truth from God's word. Something that we are to embrace, something that we are to put on in order to experience the the fullness of God's strength. He'll say, put on these truths. Let them become one with you. You see, the emphasis, and I hope not to blow up your whole idea of spiritual warfare, and if I'm getting in the way of your, this present darkness, you know, Frank, uh, Frank Peretti kind of stuff, let's just kind of look at this. That's why I said before, context is really important here, right? The emphasis here is not on the item of the armor and all that that symbolizes, but rather on the way in which we will employ or put in motion the way in which we are to embrace and are impacted by truth to combat the deceptive influences of the devil in battle. Now we'll see some really awesome ways in which we'll be able to see these items and and how we are to put truth in motion, but you see we need to, let's not get caught up with the shield and and the the helmet and the feet and this and that and the belt. These are all These are all illustrations of how we are to put truth in motion in our lives to combat the lies of the enemy. You see, Satan is a liar. And the only tool in his belt is lies. He's fed them to you since the earliest of your age. And he's never stopped. You're a loser. You're not wanted. You're ugly. You'll never measure up. You're not smart. You're not as valuable as so-and-so. You'll never measure up to so-and-so. The lies of the enemy from the earliest 
of age. He's whispered them into your ears, and you know what? He's also whispered them into the unguarded ears of other people around you who unbeknownst to them verbalize those things to you and it's landed like a dagger to your heart. You see, sometimes we think that these lies from the enemy only come from people who hate us. Those are the easiest ones to dismiss, aren't they? But when, when somebody who, who loves us says something that is contrived as an assault against us. That's, that's when it gets a little, little difficult. Don't think for one minute, though, that the enemy can't use someone close to you to spew lies to you. Think it's not possible? Look at Matthew chapter 16. Here is Jesus. He is, he is, he is with his disciples. And Jesus says to his disciples, so tell me, who, who do men say that I am? How have men been influenced to come up with who I am? And they say, well, some, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some have come to the conclusion that you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. You see, the word on the street is, Jesus, the way in which people have been influenced by others has caused them to come to the realization that you are one of the prophets. In fact, there were many people who never saw Jesus as savior. They just kind of had been influenced by people and perceptions, and they always just kind of thought he was a good prophet. And so what the disciples are doing is they are communicating how people have been influenced to come to the determination as to who Jesus is. And then Jesus brings it home. He's like, all right, so let me ask you, who do you say that I am? You know, where, you know what happens here? Peter's like, Peter stands up. He's like, you, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Flesh and blood, Jesus said, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you. In other words, what has influenced your, what has influenced your decision, Peter, is not flesh and blood. It is not your intellect. It is not other people. But you have been influenced by somebody to come to the conclusion that I am the Christ. Verse 16 of chapter 16, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven has revealed this to you. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What Jesus is saying to Peter is, listen, man, they have been influenced by other people and have come to the conclusion that Jesus is a prophet. But Peter, you have been influenced not by flesh and blood, but you have been influenced by my father. And you've come to the conclusion as a result that I am the Christ. And Peter, based on that statement, on that statement alone, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He's not saying upon Peter the church will be built, but upon that statement that he is the Christ. What an awesome day for Peter. And you know exactly where I'm going with this. 
I'm sure Peter was looking to sell shirts, right? On the rock. Do you see what I did? I landed that thing. I've been influenced by the Father to reveal the identity of Christ. You go, Peter. But moments later, not weeks later, not days later, not even after lunch, in the same conversation, Jesus is speaking with his disciples and we'll see that Peter is influenced by another source. Jesus is telling his disciples in verse 21 of chapter 16 that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and that Jesus would be killed. And on the third day, he'd be raised again. And here comes Peter, the rock. He takes Jesus aside and begins to rebuke him. I mean, he's feeling pretty good about himself, right? Far be it from you, Lord, that this shall ever happen to you. I mean, Peter's bringing into question the whole plan of salvation, the redemption of the world, the undoing of the curse. I mean, there's no bigger task, no bigger reason for why Christ came than the very thing that Peter's saying, that'll never happen. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. For you're not setting your mind on the things of God but on the things of man, wow. He's not saying Peter is Satan in the same way that he wasn't saying Peter is the father. But in the same way that Peter was influenced by the father, Peter's having an unguarded moment. And now we see that he is influenced by Satan himself. An amazing picture of how vulnerable we can all be to outside influences. Let's get our eyes off of Peter and let's put them on ourselves for a moment. We are all capable of being influenced by good influences and demonic influences, which is why we need to ensure that we guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That we, as we'll read later on, where Paul talks about the importance of take captive every thought and bring it into obedience in Christ. Before we engage our mouths, we need to be filled with the Spirit to make sure that what we're putting out there is truthful and with what the Spirit would have us to say. This is a time that the church needs to be spiritually minded people. You know, years ago, we used to, the, the, the problem was, at least in the circles I was running in, the, the phrase, the concern was that people were getting so spiritually minded that they're no earthly good. That everything was seen through the lens of what's going on spiritually. And, you know, they, it was like they, 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 they didn't take care of um, I mean, the marriages are falling apart. The kids are running in different directions. Life would, they're in church every Sunday, right? And they're, they're speaking truth and all. And it's like, there was like they, and, and it was just like this, they're spiritually minded, but they're no earthly good. But you know what? Just like every other event in church history, the pendulum swings again. And it's almost like we have become 
so earthly minded that we know spiritually good. And you see, it's a time that we need to recognize the importance of being spiritually minded. God has given us our brains and we need to make sure that we don't check them at the door as I often say, but we also need to make sure that our decisions, how we come to our conclusions, how, what we think about, needs to be filtered through, God, what are you saying here? Before I employ my wisdom, before I allow my pain, my hurt, my influences, my whatever into the situation, I need to make sure, God, what would you say in this situation, because there are times where God will call you to do something that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. There are times where God will call you to, to, to go after things that doesn't, it doesn't work on paper. It doesn't seem to be so logical, but you'll know and you know her that this is the very thing that God is calling us to do. And you know what? We're living in a time where we are being influenced by so much information and disinformation and so much lies and confusion that we need to be really careful that our response to things is not on what the latest soundbite was, but on what God is saying to us as his church. And the only way we're going to get there is not by downloading the latest podcast, but it's by being in the presence of God. We need leaders who are spiritually minded so that we can put in motion the life of Christ in the world around us. Listen, Satan's greatest influence in your life will be measured by your greatest ignorance to truth. Satan's greatest influence in your life will be measured by your greatest unawareness of truth. The schemes of the devil that Paul will talk about in verse 11 that we are to stand against are lies. But if we cannot identify them as lies, then we're gonna fall prey to them as lies. Satan's weapons are lies. Your weapon is truth. We are people of the light. We are people of truth. We must be people of God's word. And listen, being people of truth means we even, we even rise above our nationality. We even rise above our citizenship. We recognize that our ultimate authority is God's word and our ultimate influence is the word of God and the spirit of God and our ultimate focus is the kingdom of God. Satan's weapons are lies, your weapon is truth. So therefore Paul says, put on the armor. So listen, your enemy your enemy is not flesh and blood. It's not the person who hurts you. Your enemy is the lies that came out of their mouth that hurt you. That doesn't mean that you need to keep embracing those people who keep hurting you and allowing themselves to be a, a, uh, a source of hurt and pain. But it should free you up to not hate them and see them as broken as well. Doesn't mean you have to let them influence you anymore. But your enemy is not flesh and blood. It's the lies that come out of their life. Instead, we are to counteract lies 
with truth. Well, what truth are we talking about? Well, clearly the context of all that we've been unpacking in Ephesians, we've seen right from the beginning of chapter one, we see Paul laying out who we are, right? We, we see, you know, we, we come to understand who we are in God's eyes, right? We come to realize um, how we are to see one another. We come to realize the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit lived out in the life of the believer, but, but it's more than just what we see in Ephesians. It, it has to do with the absolute truth of all that we see revealed in the word of God, which is why I say time and time again, it is so important that you are in the word of God. I can promise you that if you are not actively in the word of God, you're going to fall prey to the deception of the world. I promise you it will happen. We must recognize the importance of applying the truth of God's word to our lives. Let's look again at our text. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Look, our wrestle, our wrestle here is not against flesh and blood. That's, that's people. But there is a struggle, isn't there? I mean, we're, we, we, we do know, we do feel the wrestle. We do feel the, 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 the tearing, right? We do feel the, the tension. There is a wrestle, there is a war. The title of our message this morning is the war of influence. Don't worry, that wasn't an opening, by the way. There's a war, and it's the war of influence. It's a, it's a wrestle to influence you in a way that is contrary to the spirit-filled life. You see, in the beginning, as we saw, this is really a springboard of what we saw in chapter five and verse 18, where we see we're not to be influenced by the things of the world, right? By, by being drunk with wine, right? But we are to be influenced by the spirit of God. And we recognize that we are going to be influenced by the greatest um, things that we allow to influence. Our life is going to, be, is going to look like the thing that we allow to influence us the most. And so we are to put away the things of the past, embrace the things of, the, of, of, of who we are in Christ now. And we recognize that there's a war here. We're going against our own way of thinking. We're going against our pain. We're going against our learned behaviors. We're going against all of our insecurities and all those things that we need to kind of leave that at the cross and recognize who I am now in Christ. So what are we wrestling What's the wrestle for? I mean, what's the, what's the goal? What's the end game? The goal is your mindset. The goal is, is your mindset. The goal of the Spirit is to influence you and I to walk in the spirit, to walk in love, to walk out our new nature, to empty ourselves of ourselves so we might be filled with the spirit of God, so we walk in the newness of life that we have in Christ Jesus. The goal of the devil is to influence us to walk in a way that's consistent with our old life. The goal is your mindset, to walk in truth, or to walk in lies. That's what's 
in the battle. Everything Paul has been saying in the first three chapters had to do with us seeing our position in Christ, embracing the truth of our identity. It's a battle to control who will influence how you see yourself. And you know what? So many of us have come into the room feeling like we are no more than what the greatest influence in our life said we are. Maybe it was a dysfunctional parent. Maybe it was a broken relationship. Maybe it was an influential coach or teacher. But we start feeling like we are as bad as what somebody else said. But what God says is nuts. That's not who you are. You're a child of God. You're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're God's own special treasure. And there's this battle. Because if the way you think about yourself will impact the way you live your life, as a man thinks, so is he. Right? Right? You see, if, if the goal is to, ch- is to affect your mindset so that you live a certain way. And God says, this is who you are. Embrace that mindset so that you might live a certain way. You have the enemy wanting to influence that mindset. Listen to what Paul said to the church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He says this, for though we walk in the flesh, where you're not waging war according to the flesh, but we are in a war, right? For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to obey Christ being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. What is this specific weapon of our warfare that we have? It is the truth of God's word. It is the way in which we combat the only tool that the enemy has, which is lies. He says the weapons of our warfare, they are not of the the flesh. That is our old way of fighting, our old way of thinking, our old way of doing things. The weapons of our flesh are lies and assaults that inflict pain on ourselves and on anybody else who wants to get close to us. But the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have, as Paul says, they have divine power. What is this What are these weapons that have divine power? Romans chapter one and verse 12, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation. What is the power? What is the weapons of our warfare? It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the truth of God's word. It is that which will expose lies and defeat lies and influence our mindset. That's why Paul says here, he says, take captive every thought before it lands, before it begins to influence you. You take it, you examine it, and you you hold it in light of what God's word says, and you either embrace it as truth or you dismiss it as a lie. But before you allow it to land in your heart or in your mind, you allow the word of God to define it for you. You see, our weapons is the power of the gospel. And look what he says here. He says, for the weapons of a warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy 
strongholds. What is a stronghold? I've, got the, I've heard the best definition of a stronghold I've ever heard. Actually, Kevin Compline, who's our president, had shared it, but he's not the one that he, had, he, he actually, because I, I looked it up online to see who wrote, said it, and a whole bunch of people claiming. <laughs> so I figured if everybody else is claiming, I'm going to claim it as well. But no, no, I, I think it's Ed Slavoso who said this, and, and Kevin, our president, actually had communicated what he had read somewhere else. But here's, here's the, if you're taking notes, I'm kind of pausing so you have time to take your pen out. This is by far the best definition of a stronghold that I'll ever see, and it's this. A stronghold is a mindset impregnated with hopelessness that causes you to accept as unchangeable something that you know is contrary to the will of God. Just let that land for a second. A stronghold is a mindset impregnated with hopelessness that causes you to accept as unchangeable something you know to be contrary to the will of God. It's that feeling that says, I know this is not what God wants me to do, but I don't know any other way. I I have tried to do this. I have tried to change, but I, I can't possibly change. There's the hopelessness piece, right? And so we accept it as unchangeable, and it retards our growth, our ability to move forward. It's become a stronghold in our life. But what we see here, though, is that the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power. Here's what truth does. It destroys strongholds. It destroys strongholds. Notice where the stronghold takes place. It's in the, it's in the mind. Not, not like, yeah, it's in your head. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. Like it's not real. It's very real. And if you're living that, that journey, right, that, that, that tension in your life, you know it's very real. but it's in your cognitive makeup of your mind. It's it's become how you perceive reality. That's, that's, That's what happens. Our mindset is so important. That's why the enemy is trying so hard to influence our mindset so that it'll affect the way we see God, see ourselves, see the world around us. Look what he says here again, going back to that same verse in Corinthians. Look, the weapons of a warfare, they're not of flesh, but of divine power. Look, to destroy strongholds. It destroys arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Then takes captive every thought, right? Where all these things take place? Strongholds, arguments, opinions, knowledge, thoughts. Where does it all take place? Right between that four-inch space between our ears. So we start thinking about it. It's our mindset, It is our cognitive makeup whereby we define reality. And what God says is you're a new creation. I will do that for you. I will define your reality by the truth of my word. Which brings us right back to our text. Finally, be strong in yourself. Nope. Be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of his might, not ours. Here's what you ought to do, though. You put on the whole armor of God 
so that you may be able to stand against the strategies, the schemes, the lies of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, present darkness, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He says this, therefore, again he says, take up the whole armor of God. First he says, put it on, take it up, that you may be able, you know what that means? That you are able, that it's possible, that it's possible that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. I like that. Having done all. You see, as I mentioned, it opened up with the importance of us putting on, with us, the, the, the whole perspiration, inspiration piece, with us going after truth, with us applying truth, with us prioritizing truth, with us making sure that we're investing in our spiritual growth more than we are investing in anything else in our life. And as we have done everything we can we possibly do, that coupled with the Holy Spirit working in our life, we will stand. You see, we, in, in, in the Protestant church, we don't like the idea of having to do anything. But we ought to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Hebrews talks about this idea of, of not having resisted sin to the point of bloodshed. When we say, oh, I can't stop doing it. Have you resisted the bloodshed? Then don't say you kept trying. Nobody getting off the hook. Right? God's grace is sufficient. But sometimes that grace comes in the form of letting you sweat a little bit and pushing through our comfort zones and going after that which is so such a priority in our lives. Jeremiah said, you'll seek me and you'll find me when you search for me with all of your heart. I question sometimes, God, have I ever really searched for you with all of my heart? Having done all, stand firm. Applying the truth, putting on the armor. How do we do that? What does that look like? Paul will begin to lay out the armor that we are put on, and he will give us a strategy using these different um, items that we'll be looking at next week on how do we put truth in motion in our lives using the illustration of a helmet and a sword and a shield and a breastplate and belt and, and shoes and all those things. He will help us to see how do we put in motion truth so we can effectively combat the lies of the enemy so that our mindset is influenced by the Holy Spirit and not by the lies of the enemy. And that's what we'll take a look at next week. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we have all been influenced by so many things. We've even been influenced by things that look good and spiritual but aren't from you. I pray, Father, that you would help us to be people who walk in the spirit. Help us to be influenced by your word in such a way that we could spot a lie from a distance. Lord, that we would be people who, as Paul says, take captive every thought 
instead of verbalizing it or posting it or putting it out there, Lord, we, we look at that in light of truth and bring it into obedience of Christ. Would you mature us as your people? Would you grow us as your people? Lord, may, may the life of Christ be reflected in all we say and do. Maybe just in the quietness of your own heart. Just ask the Holy Spirit if there's areas that you've, some lies that you've held on to, maybe not even realizing they were lies. Preconceived ideas about yourself or your spouse or thoughts that have created distance between you and other people that God's called you to love and embrace. Thoughts that's kept you from being vulnerable even with God and asking God, help me to, help me to identify that as a lie so that I might walk in truth. Lord, we recognize that we're all a product of so many influences. So many wonderful influences, but also so many painful influences. Lord, help us through your word to know where to put those influences in our lives. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.